are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. And their forward-handled design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows. Now, I have known Tracy and David Belowski for many years, and both Nick and I, plus both of our families, just love Tracy and David. So check out their website at www.stjoeriverbows.com or call Tracy Belowski at 517-617-3658. All right, Nick, how's it going, man? It's going good, bud. It's uh, We've got uh, GLLI coming up here and kind of the last shoot of the year, and then we'll be full swing into, into hunting season. So that'll be good. Yeah, I'm uh, watching the calendar day by day. Um, work's really frustrating me, so I'm, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the end of this month. Um, and that's really what this, this podcast is going to be about. But uh, I know we've both got a, a couple things we, we kind of want to cover a little bit about. So uh, I know you wanted to, to talk a little bit about maybe just a little quick status update, for lack of a better term, for where your, where your book's at. Yeah, I was hoping my book would be done by now. Um, but, you know, you uh, when you're self-publishing, you learn a lot. And um, I've learned quite a bit uh, <laughs> through this whole process. Uh, I, um, I pretty much had everything ready to upload. And then we ran into some snags with the, uh, the digital version because we wanted to we didn't want to just upload a PDF. We wanted to make sure that it, you know, could be adjusted by the user um, and it would flow properly. So right now it's it's kind of it's not flowing the way we want it to. Some from pictures are ending up on pages they shouldn't be and stuff like that. So so we're working on it. And then the um, the printed piece, when we uploaded it, we realized that our uh, we went from an eight by five to a, uh, a nine by six and that to make it a little easier to read. And that and that kind of changed the dimensions of everything. Yeah. I and uh yeah, it bumped the, uh, we had it all ready to go and, and, um, Elizabeth, my designer had it all set up. And then I know it, I, when I uploaded it, um, create space, uh, that's Amazon basically, uh, gave me a warning that I only had one thing wrong with the file and that's that the, the header was, uh, which I didn't even need. The headers were kind of on the, were past the printed line. So just got to get that fixed and, uh, and get that and get that going. But the other thing was, I didn't know you had to do a, uh, for all you who are publishing a book in the future, you have to you do have to fill out like a, a tax interview on there for your royalties. So uh, I should have done that a long time ago, and I didn't because I didn't know I had to. And uh, when I got in there getting ready to upload, I was going to do everything at once and realized that I didn't get the royalties part done. So now I have to wait to be approved by the IRS uh, to continue, and that can take up to two weeks. So, but you're getting um, close. I'm close. I mean, it's all good. The cover's done. That was what we were working on the longest, and it looks awesome. If you go to lifeandlongbows.com, um, in fact, I just had a new post drop today, and uh, that one, you know, I've got the I've got the book icon up there with the cover on it, and you know, that'll be one of the that'll be where you can kind of get the Kindle version. And um, I'm going to start a Kickstarter here pretty soon, as soon as that printed version's uploaded, 
and uh, we'll get some uh, we'll get some hard copy proofs ordered and go from there. So, you know, it'll be out you know near the end of the summer and into the fall, and and I guess you know you really can't rush these things. I mean, it's been a labor of love and a, a work in progress, and you know after it's uh, after it's published, it's published, it's over, you know, and I got to right. start another one. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> it doesn't really and matter. You're, you're you're getting all the you're getting all the 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 lessons learned in this one. So, mm-hmm. um, but we'll we'll keep folks we'll keep folks updated. Yep, absolutely. I'll be the first to know, and um, it should be it should be pretty cool. The reason why I'm doing a Kickstarter, just so you guys all kind of know, is that I didn't know how many to order. Um, I still don't. I was only going to order fifty. That's all I was going to do. But um, from what I've what I've uh, gathered, there's a lot more interest than fifty. So I'm going to see how many people want it, and that's the best way to do it. And I'll do it so that when we you know, it'll be pretty much what I would sell it for print anyway. And, you know, I'll sign them and number them or whatever. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go that route. And, and that way you all get your, your, the books in the timely fashion after you order them and, and we'll be, we'll be good to go. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you, buddy. And I, um, I actually had a, a little bit of a, a launch this week myself. So I've been, um, working on the, the, youtube channel to kind of go you know with with the podcast and with the website and uh put out a a little intro video i guess about two weeks ago and then this week i dropped um the the intro introduction to the scouting series and actually the first of the uh scouting videos and and put that out there and i'm going to try to keep those all around 20 minutes just to you know so it's not too long and people can actually go back and and find what they're looking for if they want to go back and review something so that is out there i've actually got another uh, couple of them already lined up and i'm starting to work on the and i'll get better with the video editing as i go but that's what really takes so much time right now so um if you hadn't already if you go to the website you'll see at the top of the website there's a bunch of little icons for various social media one of those is the the youtube channel and uh, please, please go ahead and subscribe there, so you're you're getting updates. Uh, and once I get to, I don't, I don't remember what the number is, but get to a certain number of subscribers, I'll be able to actually change the the uh, uh, the forward slash on the URL to traditional outdoors. And I'm just, I don't have enough subscribers there yet, but it's growing, so I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, and you're putting some episodes up there too, aren't you, Steve? Yeah. Uh, so yes, the, the podcast are actually going to YouTube as a, as a video format, uh, adding some photos in kind of creating a, a slideshow. Um, but those are running anywhere from five to eight weeks behind the, the, the audio only the podcast release, because I really want people to, to subscribe to the podcast. Um, and if they just want to go back and listen to them again, or if they're at their computer and they can, they can, you know, do YouTube, but not, um, uh, not listen to podcasts then it gives them another format where they can go and listen, but just keep in mind that those will be on a pretty extreme, uh, delay getting to the, the YouTube channel. Yep. That's understandable. And, uh, you know, for the people who don't know your cyber, your cyber scouting video, that's mainly, are you, uh, you're working with apps like Cal Topo and things like that, right? Well, so I'm I'm building the foundation now, um, but it will cover everything from some of the you know the digital scouting, e scouting, cyber scouting, whatever you want to call it, uh, up to boots on the ground, actually getting out in the field. But right now, I'm just trying to kind of lay the foundation, and really, I'm almost going through the video process in almost 
kind of like the way I actually go through my scouting process. But right now, I'm really just laying the foundation for uh, the various tools that, that people can choose to use if they want to follow along. Well, I think it's really cool you're doing that. It's going to be really, really useful. I know you've helped me out a lot on this stuff. And, uh, and yeah, um, I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. So you got to be you got to be getting geared up here for uh, for Wyoming, though, huh? I am, and and that uh, that really gets into what uh, this episode is all about. Um, uh, so Tom and I sat down uh, a week or so ago. Um, Tom Jurgensen, who's uh, going out to Wyoming with me, and we we had been talking about it. We wanted to put together an episode that just kind of went through the gear that we chose for this hunt. We are doing a backcountry hunt. We'll be hiking in somewhere between six to eight miles uh, from the trailhead. All of our gear on our back. Uh, we'll be setting up a camp. And we'll be hunting out of a spike camp. So, you know, we we discussed a lot of the choices that we were making along the way. Some of the things uh, are are similar for both of us, and and some of them are different. And we really wanted to go through and kind of lay out all the equipment choices that we made, kind of why we made the choices that we did. And then the idea is after we get back from this hunt, um, which is the 1st of the September, when we get back, uh, give us a little time to collect our thoughts and so forth. And we're actually going to sit down and do another one of these episodes that talks about what worked, what didn't work, what we would change. And hopefully there's not any or many of these, but, you know, what may have just been a complete disappointment. Um, so that's kind of the idea of what we're what we're planning to do. Well, good. Um, you, you can kind of lay the uh, the groundwork for uh, when I eventually go out there and do this. Well, and that's the idea. I mean, I, you know, I think there's there's probably a lot of people that are out there, and I spent a lot of time researching online. I know Tom did, um, and maybe this is just another tool that people can listen to and listen to our our reasonings as to why we 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 went the route we did on our equipment, and. Um, you know, see what works and what doesn't doesn't work, and maybe save you know, maybe save somebody some some pain and hassle, and maybe even some money. Um, all that said, and you'll hear this. I actually cover this at the beginning of the the episode, but I want to I want to make sure I'm very clear on a couple of things here. And you know, I've 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 listened to I listen to a lot of podcasts over the course of a week because I'm. Um, I'm really researching things or topics that, you know, I may want to talk about possibly even people that I want to reach out to as being guests. And, you know, a couple of, a couple of podcast episodes that I've listened to, you know, I get why people get upset about the commercials or the sponsorship and those kind of things. And we've talked about this before, you know, if you're going to do one of these things and do it right, you're either, you're going to just continuously put money into it and get nothing back or you you pick up a sponsor or two and i went the route of letting companies or individuals sponsor an episode um because i don't want to get into having to promote a product throughout the the entire podcast or throughout a, a complete youtube video um, you know, I'm not getting rich by doing this, but hopefully I'm, I'm getting some money back to pay for the audio hosting for the actual podcast files, the web hosting, uh, the recording equipment, the software to host these meetings, those kind of things. You know, you're not going to make any money, but at least you can try to break even. Um, 
And one thing that you will also see on the video channel is there's not going to be a lot of name dropping with regards to gear. I am going to intentionally try to record most of those wearing shirts like from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Sportsman's Alliance, Professional Bow Hunters Society, Compton's, Michigan Longbow Association, um, because I'm, I don't want to use them as promoting product. I don't want them to be a commercial and more importantly, ultimately, if there is a product that I think is of good quality and of usability for other people, I want to be able to communicate that to the listeners without being biased because I'm being paid or I'm being compensated with free product or, or, or reduced cost on products. Likewise, if a product's bad, I want to be able to openly say, let people know and say, hey, it sucks. Um, and I can't do that if I'm, if I'm taking product or taking money. Uh, to promote products throughout the podcast or throughout the YouTube channel. So I would just ask people to keep that in mind as they're listening to this episode. Tom and I, again, we say this at the beginning, but we were not compensated for anything that we mentioned. We didn't get any discounts. We paid the, unless it was a sale that we happened to catch, we paid what you would pay. Um, so uh, you can't get, I can't make it any more honest than that. And again, when we get back, we're going to sit down and go through this gear again. And if something didn't work, we're going to tell you it didn't work and why. And then you can be your own judge of want, you know, what you want to go out and purchase for your next adventure. With all that said, Nick, we're going to, we're going to jump into uh, the discussion I had with Tom and hope everyone enjoys it. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. Well, hey, Tom, how's it going, buddy? Going great, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I've... Uh, I haven't had the, the, the levels of excitement that you've had for the past few weeks, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited for, for fall hunting season where we're now approaching the, the one month, uh, mark to, to our trip to Wyoming. And, you know, when I get back from that, our, our whitetail season's already going to be on the way. It's the, actually the, the first opening day here in Georgia I'm going to miss in, in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, I'll be leaving one month from today to meet you at our rendezvous point. So yeah, I'm totally stoked. And, uh, uh, be honest, I'm a little bit taken back. There's a, there's a lot of stuff done, but I still got a lot to do. So I, have uh, been looking around online and I see other people are kind of feeling the same way about early season hunts and how quick it's coming up to us. So, uh, it's time to, time to really get serious about it. It, it really is, which is exactly why we're why we're talking today. Now you um, you just got back from a, a trip, and I've been I've mentioned this a few times on the on the podcast. I know you just had a, a big adventure in uh, Africa, and there was a lot of excitement. But without uh, because of the interest of time, we've got a lot we want to talk about here. So just want to to basically mention we're still going to to have a conversation around your your trip to Africa. It might might be why we're sitting up in the in the mountains of Wyoming, but we are going to have it. But uh, we really wanted to get this this gear discussion out. So I think we're going to just table that discussion for now. But you did have a, a really good trip, didn't you? That was a fantastic trip, and there's way too much to talk about this and what we have coming up next month. So I agree. Yeah, we just need to shelf that whole thing. So it was a an amazing time, and I got great stories to share, and I look forward to doing that sometime soon. All right, awesome. So for the purpose of today. Um, 
we, as we've stated already, Wyoming for us is is just around the corner. It's it's almost exactly a month away um, from our actual travel day to, to to get out there. You being up in Michigan, me way down here in Georgia, we've got a little bit of a drive to get there. But uh, um, you know, we're 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 really starting to get serious and and finalize you know all of our gear and so forth. So I really wanted to take. Uh, an episode to kind of go through our our gear list the uh, the items that we've chosen why we've chosen them um, there's definitely some differences uh, if you look across the, the the products that we both bought or the the manufacturers I guess is a better term um, there's some differences there um, I want to preface it by saying um, and I know I can speak for myself but I'm pretty sure I can speak for you as well that you know, none of the gear that we're going to be talking about, there's no affiliation with yourself, myself, traditional outdoors, simply traditional, anything like that. This is all gear that we're paying um, retail price for. It was based on our own research. Um, so this isn't a this isn't a, a selling episode. It's really just to go through and talk about what we chose and why. And then you know, after the after the hunt, I'd like for us to to sit down um, and talk about how the gear performed, and just be brutally honest. I mean, there's you know we don't have we don't have any reason to to make something sound better than it was. Hopefully, all of the gear performs as well as we anticipate. But you know, we'll kind of break that back down and and say you know here's what here's what performed well, here's maybe what didn't, and here's what was okay but could have been better. Does that all kind of resonate with you, Tom? Definitely, I will, I will. I will say that clearly. I have no sponsorships, and every bit of this gear I paid out of my own pocket. So, yep, I, I can give it to uh, give it to you straight. So, I guess the um, first off, we'll kind of lay out where we're hunting in in general terms. Uh, we both drew tags um, in region Y, which if, uh, people know much about the, the region, it's, we're primarily going to be hunting in the big horns. Um, and we've been really been going back and forth for at least a year, maybe a little over a year as far as where, uh, specific areas that we're going to hunt. But let's just say that, you know, we've got a primary and a couple of secondary or backup locations, depending on if we run into crowds or whatever if we just feel like we're crowded and we want to move um but there it's so we may be in a couple of different units but it's all within region y um, yeah and so we talk about that um big horns we've got a big area that we're allowed to hunt uh in that edge of that area is cloud peak wilderness area and in the state of wyoming we cannot hunt in there uh without a licensed guide so being a do-it-yourself trip um, we have to exclude that area. Um, it has been over a year. So we started talking to folks who'd hunted there uh, in the past in different places, uh, did a lot of homework, uh, came up with a draw applica- uh, plan, uh, a lot of map time. We'll probably talk a lot about that in a different episode. But yeah, so we're looking at a fairly high country, uh, but early season. Right, so we can expect snow. We had snow there in 2016 uh, in August, so we need to be, you know, prepping for that a little bit. Uh, and it's do-it-yourself, and we're likely going to be several miles into the backcountry. So that's the way we need to think about what we're packing and what we're taking, and what we're going to need, just to help the listeners, you know, kind of understand it's not a car camping trip. 
Yeah, I think um, when we were we were looking at the at Google Earth back when I was in in Michigan a couple months back, uh, I think we were saying somewhere around six to eight miles is probably about the distance we're going to be uh, hiking in and setting up our camp, and then we'll be splitting out up to a few more miles uh, from that from that location. So yeah, a lot of walking, um, and uh, while we can venture back to the vehicle if we need to we're we're really not planning on heading back unless we've got you know something we need to do as far as uh, meat care or emergency yep so true so i guess tom let's you know we we kind of put a little list together here of of definite items we wanted to cover um and you know it's kind of one of those hot hot subjects hot topics right now where you look people are talking about you know their their packs and and what they're planning on using from a uh from a backpack perspective so i say we just jump in and and talk about talk about our pack choices first um and i'll i'll go first on this one we'll just kind of flip back and forth as to who takes lead on on the different uh, gear topics but from a pack right. from, what'd you check what'd you pick uh i picked the uh kifaru and i i actually wrote an article on the simply traditional website kind of all the different ones i'm not going to go through them here but i looked at a lot of different packs um and ultimately for me it came down to and it's kind of a, a phrase that i i guess i coined myself but it, it was modularity you know it's the the pack frame i think is a very solid frame i think there are a lot of packs out there that have a really good frame um uh, and and strap system so i i wasn't worried about that with the kafaru what i really liked about the kafaru was everything i can do with it outside of wyoming because it is uh, as you know it's a very large investment uh, on these packs but i went with the the frame um a the nomad 2 which is the the bat wing packs um where you have a bat wing on in, on each side uh I, I chose a native which is almost like a, a a large dump sack but the native can also serve as a last approach pack if i want to so um i can detach that i can i can strap that on you know when i leave my glassing location and use that as my approach pack um I also added a what they call a gravit, which allows me to put a lot of weight in the bottom of the pack, and it just kind of secures everything up. And then with the bat wings, there's there's straps that hold all of the main gear tight to the frame without having to compress those bat wings. So I can I can store gear in there that I I just don't want to put under a lot of pressure. And then I've got the guide lid um, and several different little. Uh, packs and pouches that goes with that so again it's very modular i can i can add to take away uh reconfigure even if i need to and then during off season if i want to i can even pull all of that off and and use like a cargo net so i can use it to carry in you know tree stands climbing sticks um you know whatever um so it just for me it was a much uh, it was more about how much use i could get out of the pack outside of just uh, backcountry hunts uh, out west, but also what I could use the pack for year round, everything from getting in shape um, to you know eastern whitetails, or possibly packing out a bear or so forth out of uh, the North Georgia mountains. So that was my my pack choice, and and why? What did you choose? Uh, so I'll tell you. So you know my my background, I, I was an infantry guy, so I'm used to carrying like the crappiest packs. <laughs> uh, and then you know when I got out of the service, I, I got a nice internal frame pack. 
and I've loaded it down. I've done you know trips up and down the kind of the Continental Divide and out west, and and some uh, Isle Royal and other destinations. So I have a very low expectation for what I want to get out of my pack. I need it to be adjustable so it's comfortable for me to wear. But I think a lot of people have super high expectations to match the super high price tag of some of these packs. So I was going back and forth. I, I kind of decided on uh, Exo uh, Mountain Pack, and then I was really tempted by a Mystery Ranch. Uh, I looked at a, a Kuyu. I, I told you I was going to get the Exo, right? It was just a matter of like timing and, and getting in and ordering right, it. Right, you did. And I got one of those dang marketing emails from Kuyu. I was gonna I was gonna order that Exo one night mm-hmm. at midnight. I ran out of time. I got this marketing email from Kuyu. They launched this new ultra line, and I clicked on it in the morning. And I'm like, man, that's a good looking pack. And one of the things I liked about the the Kuyu is it has um, an option for an extra tall frame. So being six foot four, having a frame designed for somebody this tall is kind of attractive to me. Uh, I looked, the new uh, Ultra 5500 came with a solid green. Um, I don't, because I want to use this, you know, other than hunting or when I'm doing my practice hikes and stuff like that, I don't, I'm not, I don't wear camouflage if I'm not hunting. Uh, so having that, um, you know, nice, like olive greens and grays. And I mean, it looks like a backpacking right. pack. So it's, it's very light. I got the, uh, you know, the suspension and the, the frame and the bag and the whole thing, 435 bucks plus shipping. So the interesting thing is this is about half the price of some of the bags I was looking at. And I'll be really interested to see how, what the build quality is. I mean, I have it here. I mean, I, I've been using it, but you know, how it, how it really performs with, um, a backcountry load and, 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 you know, different, um, weather conditions. And, uh, I got the load hauler as a add on. So I got, uh, you're bringing the, the, the meat bags and got all the compression straps and all of that. So, um, I have no idea how good or bad this is going to be. Uh, so you definitely has some haters on, uh, the internet as well as some, some people that love it, some fanboys. Uh, I'm just kind of on the fence. I, I think I can give it a real honest, uh, uh, review after we, you know, put some miles in with it. Uh, but I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I really like what I see right now. Uh, it's very comfortable. We'll see how it, we'll see how it performs. Yeah. And it, it, it is going to be interesting. And I know there's, there's, as we get into some of this other, that's a, um, a name we're going to hear quite a bit. And I've got some, some QU gear, um, without going into a lot of details, I would say, um, some of my expectations have not been met with some of the QU gear I've gotten. I did look at the QU pack and I will be honest with you, that price sounds really nice compared to what I paid for mine. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be interested to see uh, how things play out as well. I can tell you that from my perspective, pretty much since the day it showed up at my door, it's had, you know, every, everything, the minimum weight I've actually put on my back with the pack on is 50 pounds. Um, and I've gone as high as total weight of 80 pounds in this pack. And, you know, I've done anywhere from three to, to five mile, um, exercise hikes in not hilly country, but rolling country. 
and putting down some, you know, pretty quick pace, you know, six, roughly 16 minute miles with, you know, 50 and 60 pounds. So, um, I've been very pleased with the comfort. Um, the only thing I'm going to have to, you know, that might change is loading of a pack with, with gear, as opposed to loading a pack with just a, a heavy sandbag. Obviously there's going to be some differences there in getting the, the weight distributed correctly. You know, there's going to definitely be some challenges. I know that, but overall, as far as just from a sheer load carrying perspective, I've been extremely pleased with it so far. Um, so Good. Well, this would be a good one to, to circle back on after our trip. Absolutely. I think it'll be probably one of the better discussions we have after our trip because these packs are going to get a workout and we, we know that. <laughs> so from there, uh, I don't think there's really anything else to cover there. You mentioned I do have the QU uh, game bags and I've got several of those and I've got some other little ancillary bags I'm going to be using, but it's really not worth getting into. It's really just, you know, stuff sack kind of things that I can um, group my group, some of my gear together. Um, so I know where things are at and that's about it. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, about clothing, uh, Tom, and I want to kind of go through this. Um, there may be some back and forth because when you just say clothing, you know, I want to talk about everything from, from underwear all the way up to, um, you know, outerwear and boots. So, you know, just pick up, pick a slot there from, from a clothing perspective and throw out kind of what you've got in mind and, and then we'll just do some back and forth there. All right. Well, um, for me, the first thing I was trying to figure out is what, what, what system I wanted to base off of. So last year I kind of did a lot of research and I'm like, you know, I really like, uh, if I look at the whole product catalog from first light, they've got a lot of great stuff. And, um, that ASAP pattern, I thought, you know what, this is the the killer combo for what I want to do. So I kind of made up my mind that that was going to be my my route. And I came up with a full list this winter of, you know, every individual piece and size and uh, kind of had my shopping list all ready to go, waiting for stuff to maybe go on sale. Right. And then the word came out that they weren't going to be doing ASAP. And then I was kind of in a quandary. So I, I really went back and forth between uh, the Kuyu Vias and the uh, First Light Fusion. Mm-hmm. And I decided against the Kuyu again. And then I went to order all the, uh, the Fusion stuff and I couldn't get the things I wanted in the size. They were out of stock or, um, you know, I just I couldn't get the system. And I know some of the people that, listen and some of our friends don't care, right? They mix and match and they do it purposefully and all that. But, you know, I, I kind of like having a set. So then I'll retire that whole set, you know, normally at once. Right. Um, so jump over to Kuyu and, uh, started looking at the Merino. Uh, the reason I'd originally come against Kuyu was the blend, like the, the new yarn Merino and poly mix. Mm Mm-hmm. So before I really committed to the Kuyu, I ordered a single uh, Ultra 125 t-shirt in gray. And you probably saw that on my blog. I was doing that experiment where basically I'd wear the thing for six days, I'd hand wash it, and then I'd wear it for six more days, right? So if I wasn't at work, I was basically wearing this one shirt, seeing how fast it would wear out. And the thing really held up, and it was great. So 
Um, like, okay, apparently it's pretty good stuff. Uh, so uh, I went with Kuyu. Everything I ordered was in the bias pattern. Uh, so it's the pants are alpine pants, which have, you know, the vented pockets and padded knees. Uh, for the tops, I have the ultra merino long sleeve t-shirt, hooded quarter zip. Um, I got the Teton puppy jacket uh, and the Teton soft shell. I decided to save a little money on those items. Uh, ultra merino beanie neck gaiter. Uh, some gloves, boonie hat. Um, so, you know, almost head to toe. My main thing is going to be Kuyu um, for you know most of my system. How about you? So a couple, couple of things there. I, I guess, one, I got a little bit of a jump start on you, and I'll get into that. But um, so I, I do own several pieces of the, the Kuyu Merino wool, the new yarn. Um <sighs> From a from a wear perspective, from a functional perspective, I would say I I have no complaints. Um, the area that I would have a slight complaint with Q, well, really two areas. One is sizing. I think all of their gear tends to size on the small size side. The other thing is, from a comfort perspective, for me, and I think this is one of those things that's just you know subjective to the person their garments just don't wear as comfortable meaning i get a, a bit of a, a of an itch from them no no real skin irritation per se but they're just not as comfortable for me for wearing um all day and if you're you know if you're sitting in a tree stand a lot and you're trying to be still and not you know it really is distracting if you're constantly just not very comfortable um i'm gonna i'm sorry jump in and go ahead step in and say something i'll, I'll agree with you um like the way the tags were attached, there were certain spots where I'd get an itch. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through and remove those, you know, just, you know, broke the stitches and, and took them out. And, uh, most of my stuff fit well, but I got, I ordered the quarter zip off bottoms and there was no way I could get those things on. I mean, there was, it was like, they were two sizes too small mm -hmm. from what they were labeled. Right. And, uh, I sent those back. So, I mean, the good thing is good return policy, right? Sent them right back. Just had to pay the shipping. But yeah, I, I, those are both valid points. So, the reason I said I had a head up on uh, a head up on you with regards to some of the clothing, um, I actually bought a lot of the gear that I'm going to be using a year in advance. Now, you always one of the thing I'll bring up here is you always there's always the constant debate. You know, is 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 some of the clothing gear the you know the Sitkas, the QUs, the First Lights, are they really worth the money? And I would, I would tend to say for the average whitetail hunter, no, probably not. And you can probably get by with a lot of different things if you're, if you're walking, you know, a half mile average, let's say, getting in a tree stand and sitting still all day. Um, I, I don't know that there's a great advantage, but I'm saying that because I did buy mine uh, ahead of time last year so that I could wear it through the fall hunting season just to get a good idea of, of how it was going to perform. And I must say, I fell in love with the stuff. Um, I didn't, uh, and I'll go into my, my choices here in a minute, but I didn't come out of that ultralight gear until mid December in Georgia, which, 
you know, everybody thinks, well, Georgia's hot. North Georgia in the winter time, you know, come December can get pretty cool and you have to deal with the humidity. So it, it, it can be pretty miserable. And ultimately I did go into some of my heavier wool garments, um, again, starting in December, but, uh, September, October, November, I wore this stuff a lot, um, and wore it in two states. So <clears throat> without, without, uh, Stretching this out too long, I'll just go ahead and get into it. So I start with the Merino wool boxers from First Light and then go into the um, the, the Lano, what they call the Lano or used to. I think it's changed now. Uh, Lano base layers, which is um, Merino wool, light Merino wool uh, pants and uh, long sleeve base layer. And to be honest, I wore that um, – through September, from September into uh, well into November here, and then ultimately added in the Chama, which is the mid-weight um, merino wool top. I was using a couple of different pants. The pants that I like the most that I will be going to Wyoming with is the Obsidian pants, which is a uh, it's a merino wool pant, but it's the way it's manufactured. It's actually very it's very tough. Um, and, and I mean, I wore it, you know, thorns and everything else in, in here in Georgia and didn't have, didn't have any real problems out of it. So, um, that, that pretty much covers what I'm, I'm going to be wearing. And like I said, I'm, I, I was really surprised at the lightweight and the, the conditions that I was able to stay comfortable in. Um, and I hunted Michigan in, um, I guess late October, early November, in these in this same clothing and the only thing i added in uh, michigan to my stand sits was a, a wool vest that i have fallen in love with and i wear it probably it's probably my my most worn uh hunting garments of uh madison creek outfitters um uh, wool fleece line vest and again i can't even find another one i've been trying to find another one for two years now and can't find one but that really covers the the normal clothing gear um so go ahead i think i have some questions though yeah. so you know first thing you mentioned your uh, lano base layers mm -hmm. are those camouflage do you wear them as outer layers do you intend to you know what and what patterns are you using in these things do you care about that stuff i i'm and that's a good point sorry i didn't mention that so i got lucky i bought um full sets of uh first light gear in asat which again i just love and i'm really excited about using it wyoming because not only do i think it does a really good job of breaking up your outline at ground layer ground level but if you get in a situation where you're skylined it's fantastic i mean um you know We've talked about possibly carrying a, a, a stand um, or maybe a, I'm actually looking at hunting saddles right now, but I, I do want to have an option for getting elevated. If we see, uh, if we were to see a nice buck that's using a, a, a steady pattern and puts us in an, an opportunity where we could set up an ambush point, you know, I want to have the option. I think most of what we'll be doing is spot and stalk, but I do want to have that option. So I really like the ASAP because it, allows you to do both and does a really good job as far as the un, the, the base layers it is all asat um but i got lucky because they were again closing it out and i bought all of this stuff on um at, at really good pricing but i wear the base layer shirts as a as outerwear a good a good part of the year here in in georgia now the 
the the lowers are ASAT too, but it was really just more of a, a cost thing. They they were on sale, so why not buy them? Well, and so you've had a chance to to shake your gear out a bit. Uh, I hunted uh, two different weeks in the stuff that I ordered in March and May in South Carolina. A uh, lot of wet, a lot of rain, a lot of a lot of uncomfortably hot. Uh, so I'm very happy with it so far. I didn't take it to Africa. Uh, they use, you know, the way they wash clothes over there and stuff. They, I, I know they're going to use detergents and fabric softeners that I'd never use. So I wanted to keep my gear away from that. And I, I do feel like they kind of destroyed two sets of hunting clothes. This is the first time I've invested in the high-tech clothing system, um, like you say. For the average hunter, I, I don't think this stuff is necessary, but... You know, we're looking at probably six full days of hunting in the backcountry, and we need one one good layering system that's going to get through all those conditions. I think it's a good investment. I agree 100%. And the only other thing I would add about using some of this gear um, outside of, you know, a, a, a backpacking or backcountry hunt is – I never had a situation where I, and, and that's just the merino wool, where I got, where I perspired, I got hot, I got sweaty getting into the woods, climb up in a stand in, you know, you know, low 40s into the 30s. And normally you, you know, would get chilled. And I never had, I never had that experience. So I was, I was very pleased with them from that perspective. Um, one thing I do want to, to ask Tom though, before we get, off track and forget and move on to the next topic yeah. what about um so what are you doing with regards to uh boots and socks so i was going to talk about that but i was going to mention one other thing you mentioned about getting cold yes i have one piece of gear that is in my essential list that you know, i don't think you know about so back when i used to do a lot of motorcycle riding and touring i picked up this top called a uh, champa S-C-H-A-M-P-A. Mm-hmm. And it's a great, it's like a, a windproof outer, fleecy, insulated inner. Um, really popular with like bicycle racers and motorcycle guys. I love that top. It has the little thumb holes in it. So you got a little insulation around your wrists and over your, your hands. I take that with me pretty much any place I go hunting where it could get cold. Um so it's not hunting gear, jet black. It's good for inside blinds. Right. Um, so I'm definitely taking my, my Shamba with me. One of the best things about it is because motorcycle riders, a lot of times will have their shirts ride up in the back and you'll get cold across your lower back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're extra long. So when we're sitting down glassing, uh, it's basically tucked down deep into my pants and I shouldn't have a chance of getting any, uh, wind up the back of my shirt. Um, so when we do show notes, I got to get you a link for that. Okay. Uh, love that top. If you don't have one, you should get one. I will definitely look uh, into it. Yeah. Uh, and then for boots, I uh, kind of looked at all the different, uh, you know, the, the, the Kenetex and the Schnees and all the different ones. And I ended up pulling out uh, my normal hiking boots. So I have a pair of, uh, uh, Vask GTX. That's an older uh, model, but you know I've got a couple hundred miles on them. They've been all up, down, everywhere. Great ankle support. Uh, perfect size for my hiking socks. Just tried true 
great boot, you know, um, love everything about them, strapped them on, did some hikes, uh, just out, uh, cutting up a, uh, firewood yesterday and put them on and, you know, did a long day of crawling through bramble with them. So I can't see really any need to get different boots. So I'm going to go with the normal hiking boots that I use for this type of stuff anyway. Um, I, I just, I, it's working for me. So I'm going to stick with it. How about you? I went back and forth quite a bit on, on the, the whole boot thing. Um, I've, I've had problems with my ankles in the past. So, uh, I was originally thinking about going with just a hiking boot. Uh, but ultimately I want more ankle support than that. So I, I decided I was going to go with a, a, a full height boot. Um, I actually own a set of mountain extreme Kenetrex, uh, and toyed with the notion of using those. And there's still somewhat in the back of my mind as a possibility, but they're insulated. And I think it's just going to be too much, um, for the time of year that we're going to be out there. So, uh, I've got a set of Danner pronghorns that are non-insulated and I've actually been wearing those quite a bit. In fact, I did uh, nearly 10 miles in North Georgia last weekend with those, not with a heavy pack, but I did have a pack with some camera gear and um, some audio recording gear and so forth with me um, doing some stuff for the, the YouTube channel. But um, I've tried to put quite a few miles on those. I've probably got somewhere around 25 to 30 miles on them at this point hoping to get another 10 to 15 at least on them before uh, Wyoming. So pretty sure that's the that's the boot I'm going to go with. Um, my feet tend to perspire a lot anyway, and I just the, – the insulated is just not – I don't think it's going to be the best route. I'd love to use those Kenetrex. I love those boots, but uh, I just don't – I think they're just – the insulation's too much, and I, I'm, I'm having to – there's a few areas in gear that I'm having to – uh, cut corners on as far as cost and this is one of those areas uh, I'm trying to make up for that a little bit with my sock choices and I've been playing around with a couple of different combinations I'm going to be using a, a lightweight because um, I'm and I, I want to get into this just a little bit um, as far as any any change of clothing gear we're taking but um, I'm going with a really light polypropylene uh, liner sock and then I'm using the uh, hunter boot sock cushion socks from darn tough uh, it's a merino sock uh, i bought a couple of pairs of those i'm actually going to buy at least one more pair just to have a spare um, and i again last week i put 10 miles with that setup on and my feet were very comfortable i mean i had a few hot spots but i think that's really coming more from the boots still getting broken in than anything uh, and 10 miles i mean i, I don't think I don't think any one day we're going to put more than 10 miles on, on boots, but, um, you know, I think, I think it'll be fine. Uh, again, I'd like to have a, a, a better pair of boots, but I'm looking at this as if they will get through this, this hunt, then I'll look at replacing them before the next hunt. Okay. Well, I'm doing, so if I were to go out and buy new socks for this trip, I have learned so much about socks from hiking channels on YouTube of stuff that's out there now that, you know, previously was unavailable mm -hmm. and, you know, these through hikers, they're doing some, I mean, there's some amazing stuff out there. So I would definitely not buy midweight, normal, smart wool again, but 
I basically have four brand new pair of them gotcha. and they fit my boots perfect and they fit me perfect. And I think that's about the right number of pairs because they're not going to dry super fast. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at hunting six or seven days, yeah, I think that's, that's about right. You know, so I think it's kind of funny, one full set of clothing and then four pair of socks, but I just don't see being able to get away from that. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to run Smart Wolf for that. So what? A, now I will say. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to bring a pair of camp shoes. So, uh, kind of one of one of my luxury items is uh, a pair of Keen sandals. So when we're just kicking around camp, or you know, want to run over and you know uh, filter water, or you know whatever we're doing, or or dip into a creek to do a little fly fishing or something, I'm going to have an alternate pair of shoes. Uh, so I don't have to be wearing my hunting boots and hiking boots, uh, the rest of the time. So you're going to take a spare, spare set. I'm actually carrying, uh, my plan right now is I'm actually carrying a pair of, uh, leather, um, actually they're moose, moose hide, uh, bottomed or sold, uh, moccasins. So they will actually stay in my pack all the time. If, uh, if I'm doing a final approach, I'm, I'm going to ditch the boots. Um, if, if possible, I will just use the socks, but if they're, you know, I, the last thing I want is to get a thorn or something like that in a, in the bottom of my foot and I'm on a six day hunt. So I do have the, the moccasins and they'll be my, they'll serve as my camp shoes as well. But if I need to, I can lose my boots and slip the moccasins on to do a, you know, a final, final stalk approach. And I got these from, um, I think it's moccasins of Canada. I'd have to look it up, but we had Ryan Gill on the, on the podcast way back, um, episode five or so. Uh, and I actually ordered them through his, his website. So if you want to look at, you know, if you, anybody wants to go check them out, you can, you can actually buy the ones that I bought through, um, through Ryan's website. What about, um, just real briefly, Tom, as far as any, are you carrying any clothes, um, to, to change into, um, so let's say day three, yeah. you want to change of underwear or change of socks. Are you carrying <laughs> anything like that? Yeah. So, um, I love having one set of camp clothes. So my intent is to do my, um, 125, uh, ultra Merino, you know, Kuyu t-shirt that I've been wearing for the last, uh, eight months. Okay. Uh, super small, super light. I'd like to just throw on something different when I'm in camp uh, and it, so it'll be a base layer, right? I mean, I'll be putting other stuff on over it. Uh, and then basically a pair of soccer shorts. So even if it's cold, I just like having one clean set of clothes to put on, um, wearing the sleeping bag, you know, just when you want to have all your hunting stuff airing out or drying, right. it's just good to have one second set of something just in camp. So that's what I'm taking, just those two items. And super light. And for me, right now, my thought is um, I'm probably going to wear uh, just a pair of Columbia, really lightweight Columbia pants um, for the hike in. Um, so I, I, I'm probably going to have my hunting. Again, these these obsidian pants are not very heavy. So, you know, they'll either be in my pack or, or strapped to my pack somehow. Um, and the light Columbia pants will be my pants to wear around camp um as far as any changes of clothing i'm probably going to carry wear one and carry one short sleeve merino wool shirt um 
so that will be what's really next to my to most of my skin all the time is that short sleeve shirt. Uh, I will carry uh, an extra pair of merino wool boxers. I'm only, I'm going to carry an extra pair of the um, the hunter boot socks. The that's the thicker socks, and then I'm probably going to carry a couple of extra pair of the, the polypropylene liners because they weigh nothing. And my thought is uh, that's what's really going to uh, start bothering me is what's next to the skin, so I can change out the the liner socks, but you know, I don't really need to change out the, 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 the wool sock that's doing the work. Um, so I'm going to carry a few extra liners with me, but again, we're talking about, you know, a few ounces of clothing total, uh, among all that. So that's, you know, that's kind of my in camp and, and, and hunting clothing setup. Um, so just a couple of quick items, Tom. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about these. Uh, and I think we, we, you know, we're going to have to pick up the pace on some, and most of the stuff that we've got left are, you know, they're, they're less, really a lot less discussion around those, I think. But as far as outer layer, um, I haven't decided yet. So that's still kind of up in the air with me. Again, it's one of those cutting corners things. If I can afford it, I'm going to pick up a, a, a puffy jacket. It'll probably be the first light, uh, compadre. Um, and I can't get ASAP, but I, I'm hoping I don't need it all that much anyway. So it'll, It'll probably be um, uh, fusion camo, unless I can find one on eBay, which I am actively watching eBay for a, a large in the uh, ASAT because they do still show up. Uh, the other thing is uh, rain gear. Another one I haven't really settled on yet. Right now, I'm leaning towards just buying something like a, a set of frog togs. Uh, I forget the exact name of the. Uh, I think it's something like all sports, but you know I'm. I'm not planning on spending a lot of time hunting in it. It's really just more of a, if a thunderstorm rolls through or a quick snow shower rolls through something, I can pull a jacket out of my pack really quick and throw it on. So, you know, it's, it's $40 versus a couple hundred dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. but I know you went a little bit different route. So, you know, I guess just what's your, what's your, your outer warmth garment and what's your rain gear? Yeah. So, you know, doing hiking and, and spending all the time in the backcountry, I don't mind having a, a good quality rain top. Um, hiking shorts usually dry pretty quick. I don't worry about keeping shoes and, and socks dry. So normally when I, I'd be hiking, uh, be wearing those. And so I have a couple uh, North Face, just solid color rain jackets. Um, I'd probably be pretty quick to say, hey, if it's raining hard, we're probably not hunting anyway. So, uh, is it worth spending the money on high end, you know, Kuyu rain gear? Um, probably not, um, for me anyway. So if you were to go that route, right. Uh, Columbia has got good stuff. Uh, North face. There's a lot of different companies that have a nice rain top, uh, with the reinforced shoulders. So if you're, you're backpacking, you're, you know, not wearing through, uh, in a well-sealed hood that's, you know, super small, super light. Right. What I ended up going with, I caught a sale and I saw the, the Teton line of Kuyu. So the kind of the super cheap stuff. And I was just curious. I couldn't help myself. It was a good price. Uh, I ordered them. The fit was right. Uh, I did hunt for a solid week in the rain, got a couple hogs, uh, had to go tracking through some briars and thorn bushes, uh, they didn't hang up or rip. 
not super high end. So I think I told you I can't recommend it unless you, you know, really want a camouflage set of rain gear. Right. Um, I don't think they vent well enough. They were a little bit hot. Uh, spending a lot of hours in them was kind of uncomfortable. They're a little bit noisy for a bow hunter. Um, so I don't regret buying them, but I don't, I don't know if I'd do it again. So I'll, I'll throw those in. They're super small and light and I hope we don't need them. Yeah. And, and like I said, I've still got a few weeks. Um, so I may, uh, I, again, I guess I'm on the fence right now, both for an outer garment, whether choosing something I already have that might just be a little bit heavier. Um, and then on the rain gear, like I said, right now I'm, I'm leaning towards just something like the frog togs, but that may change. Um, you know, one thing I should say is I am going to be taking the bottoms rain, rain pants on this trip. Mm-hmm. So when we get up there, you know, we're at altitude, weather can change quickly. Um, one thing about it is, you know, while I don't need it for hiking or being out, uh, to and from camp and trailhead, uh, sometimes it's good to have rain pants just as an extra insulation layer. So if it gets real cold and nasty, might end up pulling those on just to have a little something extra on my legs. Very good. Very good. Well, Tom, I think this is a, a good spot um, to, to take a brief pause here for our passing down tradition segment. And uh, once we get back from that, we will kind of jump back in and, and probably start talking about our, our food and water and so forth and move into some of our more hunting related gear. How's it sound? Sounds great. This week on Passing Down Traditions, I am super excited to be joined by Mr. John Anoni. Um, I ran into John on Facebook many months back, actually about the same time we actually started the traditional outdoors podcast. And we've traded some emails and some messages and just really having a hard time uh, lining up schedules. But uh, I wanted to get him on the show uh, for this this mid-roll segment just really to kind of share uh, some of the things that he's got going on. John is doing some great things with with kids and getting uh, kids that probably wouldn't get involved in the outdoors, involved in the outdoors. I, I just love following the, the photos that uh, he shares on Facebook and social media. And then he's got another little project that actually helps support the first project called Hunting Awareness. But without me taking up too much of the spotlight here, John, uh, why don't you just jump in and, and tell all our listeners, you know, what all you got going on with Camp Compass and, and Hunting Awareness? Yes, sir. Uh, I appreciate you, you, you having me and uh, letting me get everybody in the loop. So I started Camp Compass in 94. Of course, I'm a full-time school teacher, uh, 30 years. And I uh, started Camp Compass in 94 to go above and beyond the classroom and to give kids uh, the opportunity to grow beyond the concrete that they live in or live on. You know, so we started looking at curriculums and started looking at developmental things. And, you know, one of the neatest things is, you know, research is coming out now saying, hey, just one event, you know, isn't cutting it. And we've been saying that for 20 years, you know, wrote a, wrote a book about it. You know, where, you know, I think our system, in fact, I know our system has been very effective with kids who don't have support in regards to growing them through hunting, growing them through fishing, growing them through the outdoors. 
And, uh, you know, a, a lot of the other programs that we see that we're, I guess we could say that we're competing with, you know, we're, we're, we're begging them to, to, to move beyond the five stages in our program, uh, to move beyond the exposure and the exploration and move into an extension phase where we begin to hold kids for a long period of time. You know, so, so it's something where I'm, I'm sitting in an office up here at Cornell University with four of my girls uh, that just graduated from high school. I've had them for seven years, and now they're moving on to bigger waters, and they're in meetings talking about hunting and talking about it like it's not a curse word. You know, every once in a while we're out in public, and, and you know, we don't know if we should say it or not say it. Well, these girls are standing up in front of 25 other people from across the country saying, yeah, we hunt. Yes, we hunt. You know, this is what we do. This is how we learn from it. And they are just slaying uh, a lot of the other kids in regards to knowledge. You know, so, so Camp Compass is a, definitely a growth program that allows kids to grow by using the outdoors over a long period of time. And uh, it's been a hell of a run. It's been a hell of a run. Now, John, uh, and I just have to ask, because uh, I've seen it personally in, in kids how how much do you see kids maturing in ways that they they typically would not mature without being involved in the hunting and fishing? You, you know what you know, and it's it's something where I think the dynamic you know Camp Compass is that bridge, and 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 I want people to remember you know I teach school professionally, I'm a professional school teacher, and then built this beyond it because of the value. You know, so I had to believe in the value before we could even put it on the pavement. Sure. You know, I, I you know, and, 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 and that's one thing, you know, where we look and we go, you know, our kids, and, and, and we know if, you, if you're a hunter and you have a child and they're doing well in school, you know, and, and, and they're, they're good kids, that's, there's a reason because of our culture of that. You know, so, so there is no question. Uh, I bet the whole farm. I don't have a form. Hell, I'll, I'll, I'll bet the high rise. Um, you know that that uh, giving kids the opportunity to grow through this grows them like, oh well, you know what? People work on food plots here. Here's here's an analogy for you. You know, you've got a food plot with no calcium. Camp Compass happens to be the calcium for kids' growth using hunting and fishing. You know, and and uh, there is no question that our kids grow tremendously because of it, because of the people that they meet you know, because of the competition against mother nature and because of our expectations. And they have to learn some of those additional responsibilities that go along with those activities outdoors that they probably would never be exposed to. Correct. And, and you know, and, and, and the thing is, is you can't, it's very difficult to learn that with, uh, with a one-time event, you know, uh, for, for three hours with 300 kids. You know, this is the, the outdoors is a continuous growth process. I mean, you're still growing. I'm still growing. That's why we keep hunting, you right. know, because we're, 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 we continue to grow. So, so we're selling, we're selling our kids. We're selling our heritage. Sure. When we pat ourselves on the back for spending three hours with the kid on the weekend saying that we worked with 300 kids and then we go home, we are, we are doing a tremendous disservice to ourselves and our heritage. I agree with you 110%, John. No, I just say, and, and that, you know, that, that's, you know, that's a hard thing for me to say because I'm a nice guy, you right. know, and because I, I, you know, but, you know, but I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm looking at, you know, uh, go to the bathroom or get off the pot, 
you know, you know, we, we have people talking and talking and talking. And around my way, the more talking you do, the more, more punches in the face you get. You know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta go about your business and, and we are horrible at that. As a culture, we are absolutely, we're good at going about our own business, but we are horrible about sharing our business. And that's, sorry. and that says, no, 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 that's fine. I, I can, <laughs> I can just, I can just say that just by, you know, following you over the last, I don't know, six months plus, you're definitely, you're definitely walking the walk. You're not just, you're not just talking about it, John. And I know we don't have a ton of time here. Um, so if you would, you know, give everybody a little bit of insight on huntingawareness.com um, and yeah, how absolutely. that came about and what it's, what you its know, purpose is. You know, we wanted to go beyond the kids. We had to give the industry something that they could hold on, you know, to hold on to, you know, we did some research with Cornell University and a bunch of other nonprofits from across the country came up with Hunting Awareness, which is an orange camouflage ribbon campaign uh, to show unity in the outdoors. You know, we, we, we talk about, you know, we, we have uh, bow hunters, we have shotgun shooters, we have block shooters, we have uh, elk hunters and pheasant hunters, but we have nothing to show that as an elk hunter or as a pheasant hunter, we're all on the same team. So what we've done is adopted an orange camouflage ribbon to wear in society to show that we as hunters are good people. And um, what we do is we ask a $5 donation for the ribbon. Um, and that ribbon or the, the donation, the money goes back to helping me provide scholarships for more inner city kids. If you want to do more for your community, what we'll do is we will sell you those ribbons at $250 a piece for $50 or more. And then you can in turn collect the $5 fee for them and put the profits back into your own community. So we set it up to be a win-win-win, not just a win-win, but a win for you for selling, a win for Camp Compass for receiving, and a win for hunting, showing unity throughout America. You know, so it's, had, it's got a big thought process behind it, um, and it's, it's something where, uh, one way or another, we've got to continue to show society we are good people. Well, and, and I commend you on that, John. I actually, uh, as soon as I actually found out about the, the huntingawareness.com, I ordered a bunch of those ribbons. I actually sure. need to place another order. I've been, I've been handing a few of them out, and I'll tell you what I am going to do. Um, not sure how much traffic it will get you, but uh, within the next 24 hours, I'm going to grab a, a, a logo from that website, and I'm going to throw a sponsor banner on the uh, Traditional Outdoors website, linking back to hunterawareness.com. And we'll also include uh, uh, links to both uh, Camp Compass and Hunting Awareness in the show notes for this episode. You know, and, and that's all we can ask is if everybody just holds a hand. You don't have to go above and beyond where it's breaking anybody's back. You know, if everybody just holds a hand, that tug of war, the, the momentum will change in it. So that's all I'm asking for is for people to hold hands regarding our heritage. You know, and, and I appreciate uh, you taking care of us the way you are. I'll, I'll do anything I can to help. And like I said, I'm going uh, to stick to you. I'm going I'm to get you on the show. You I think we could easily <laughs> fill up two hours talking about all the things uh, I've seen you doing. So, uh, easy. Uh, you, you better bring some extinguishers, though, because there's going to be some fires lit. I guarantee you. 
That, and that's good. That's, that's what we like to see. Well, John, I know you're a very, very busy person. I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so sure. much for coming on and, and sharing just a little bit about your story. Um, and for everybody listening, please be sure to head out to uh, Camp Compass, learn a little bit more about what John's doing. It's campcompass.org. And while you're there, go ahead and take the time to, to hop over to huntingawareness.com and, you know, one, one ribbon, just buy one ribbon to wear yourself. I think you'll really find these neat. Uh, I try to wear mine whenever I get a chance. And, and John, you actually include uh, the, the ribbon and a decal. Are you still doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I will throw some decals in there with a card and explanation um, because I want my brothers and sisters that are going to war for us to have all the ammunition they need. Awesome stuff, buddy. Well, I will, we'll make sure that people have those links and I can't wait to get you on here and talk to you a little bit longer until that day. Thank you again. Have a great day, sir. You got it. God bless. Okay, Tom. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and really talk about some of the, um, uh, the necessities and that's eating. <laughs> so, uh, so I know we've, we've kind of rolled this, this back and forth, um, as far as, you know, what we were planning to do for meals. Um, I, I'm just going to go through real quickly with, um, some of the stuff that I'm planning to do. And then we can talk about, you know, what our main, I guess our main course is going to be, you know, for breakfast, I'm, I'm going pretty basic. I'm going to make my own, um, granola i'm gonna buy some just bulk granola mix it with cran raisins and probably some almond sliver stuff like that stuff that's got some pretty good protein content but is fairly light uh, i'm gonna throw in uh, protein powder with that just mix all this up in one one big bag that i can just you know scoop some out of each morning uh, throw a little water in it and between the you know the protein powder give me something like a, a milk base uh, so to speak but Lightweight, a lot of proteins, really where I'm going for for breakfast, um, and then I know you know midday I'm just carrying some protein bars, that kind of thing, maybe some nuts, stuff like that. Again, really light, really dry, um, just mainly to keep my my protein content up and my energy up. Um, and then on the, the, the evening meals, uh, I guess I'll let you go into that and then you can kind of talk, our, our stoves are pretty much identical. So I'll let you, I'll let you take the, the afternoon meals and any, any cooking utensils. Yeah. So, uh, first thing, um, my breakfast, I don't eat breakfast. Uh, so I do coffee. I really like creaming my coffee and like having a nice cup of coffee. So when I was in Africa, I fell in love with this Nescafe Gold Cappuccino. It's an all-in-one pouch. You can buy them on Amazon. I can get them sweetened, unsweetened. Uh, being a type 1 diabetic, I get them unsweetened. But, uh, yeah, you just dump the thing in, a little bit of hot water. I mean, it like froths up the foam and everything. They're like, I'm kind of a coffee snob, and I'll tell you, they're pretty good. So I got a bunch of packs of that. So I will get up in the morning with you, fire up the stove. I'll have a cappuccino, uh, maybe grab a granola bar or something. I'm going to have some things just to help regulate my blood sugar. Uh, but, I mean, really, I'm not a morning eating guy, so it's kind of just hit the trail and go. I was thinking like about you. doing something like that myself. But now that you just said you're actually going to be on the mountain sipping, mountain, sipping your cappuccino, <laughs> Hell, I've got to. I'm, I'm just going to have to go with a, a black coffee just so I can give you a hard time about that. Sorry, go ahead. All right. <laughs> I'll pack some instant for you. Um, 
Yeah. So then on the trail, right. I have like a gallon Ziploc full of, uh, nuts, seeds, uh, trail mix kind of things. And then based on my blood sugar, right. I can pick out the M&Ms if I need a little, or I can pick around the M&Ms if I don't need any. Uh, and then sometimes I'll just throw a couple bags of beef jerky right in that, uh, pound or two. And it gives me something to kind of gnaw on. I think sitting on the glassing tips will be, uh, it's a good time to kind of gnaw on jerky. Um, so that's what I'm going to have in my, in my pack as we're, we're, we're roaming around for, uh, midday food. And then that gets into evenings. So that's really our main consideration. Right. Easiest thing would have been just say, Hey, jet boil mountain house. There's a system. It's already been perfected, done. Uh, I maybe not the, maybe not the healthiest option in the world, but. Ooh, yeah. Well, and with my diet, right, right. It, I have I have to be aware of that. So normally I have uh, very a lot of meat, a lot of vegetables, very little else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I did is I, I I have a nice food dehydrator. Uh, started doing a little experimenting and dehydrating beef, uh, tuna fish, chicken. Kind of poking around YouTube channels again. The hiking groups. Um, you get out and the people doing Appalachian trails or Pacific crest and they've, they've, they've got this stuff figured out, right? As a hunter, I don't need to go figure out the stuff. They already know way better than right. I do. So that's where I went with all of my focus and attention, uh, all different types of vegetables. So just kind of, you know, line it with some paper and throw the stuff on and make different barks, uh, and get those things all dehydrated. Uh, once they were done, those kind of all went into Ziploc bags. And so now what I need to do is I'm going to get out the vacuum sealer and I'll be measuring out, uh, some bit of meat, some bit of, uh, different vegetables, uh, adding in some, uh, uh, rice, uh, or potato flakes, right. To get a little bit of carbohydrate in, not a lot, Mm -hmm. but by doing it myself, I can make that exactly what I need. And I did some dry runs, you know, kind of do a pre-soak and an eight-minute cook and bring to a boil and let set 10 minutes. And the system's working great. So at this point, it's just a matter of, you know, do we want uh, uh, beef and onions or, you know, chicken stew or, you know, what? Now it's just a matter of mixing up together whatever we want. So we don't get bored. Yeah. Right. And so, and then we'll just vacuum seal the entire meal in like a, a one prep, uh, container. Right. So throw, uh, all the stuff in and then all we gotta do is just cut it open and, you know, dump it in the cup, let it soak, boil, you know, let it set, eat it. So dinners from my, my experimentation takes about not quite about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So when we get off the trail, you know, it should be a decent hour in the evening. We can, we can do that. I'll let you talk about the stove setup though. Sure. So we actually both decided to go with the, the same stove setup, and I've used, um, alcohol stoves for a couple of years now. Um, I've always used the, I've got a little Vargo stove with a windscreen works great for what I'm doing here, but, um, I wanted something a, a little bit more, I guess, I won't say packable, basically a, a little bit more of a system, so to speak. 
and I know you had been looking at the the solo stoves, and we both kind of went ended up deciding we wanted to go with the same setup, just because if one person had a problem, then we basically can share um, between the two setups. So we went with a, a solo stove. I don't remember the size, Tom. You may. Um, 900. Yeah. So we went with the stove, the, the cooking pot with lid, and the alcohol stove, all from solo stove. Um, and the alcohol stove sits inside the, um, the, the wood stove for lack of a better term. So it's a really neat system that packs down really well. And you've got the option of burning alcohol or using, um, you know, twigs and sticks and so forth. So we, if we were to run out of alcohol, alcohol for fuel, we could still, make a fire in the stove and, and heat our meals up. And we're also carrying a, a backup as well, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I originally bought that before they had their own alcohol stove uh, just to use with wood, right? Any place I go, right. I, I basically have access to that. Uh, it does take two or three times as long to cook with. Um, you have to constantly feed it little itty-bitty sticks. It's kind of a pain, but... It's a really nice alternative. If anything happens to our, you know, uh, fuel source, we can carry on, right? We could boil water if our water purifier fails. We have a lot of different things we can use that for. Right. Uh, in and it's a like you said, it's a nesting system where everything goes into bags and nests within itself. So it's very tight, very light. And on my drawstring, uh, I have a, a striker, right? So a, a ferro rod and a and a and a steel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, shouldn't need. Also, have a little uh, container of uh, cotton balls with Vaseline sealed that drops inside. So, if we need emergency fire, anything else, I can light the stoves. We have all that. Um, so, kind of a multi-purpose thing. Uh, and I, really I, like I will have system. a little fire starter kit as well, too. So, yeah. The one thing I wanted to mention was went through, looked at the different brands of heat, isopropyl alcohol, uh, kind of went uh, marine alcohol fuel, uh, kind of tried a lot of different uh, alcohols. And what I found was the most expensive option was my favorite, uh, burning Everclear uh, 190 proof alcohol. So it's 10 times more expensive or whatever, right? But you just bought one bottle anyway. Right. But there was no soot and no smell. And knowing that we're going to be cooking this inside of a a very small area, probably, Mm -hmm. um, if we get weather, I wanted to have something that wasn't going to make us nauseous or give us headaches. Yep. And so I have a, like a Swiss gear aluminum, uh, red bottle. I think it's 22 ounces. And my intent is just to fill that with Everclear, and then we'll just, you know, be filling our stoves out of that uh, for most of our cooking. I think that's going to be good. I'll need to run the math on if that's enough ounces to get us through the number of days. Maybe I'll have to pack a bigger a bigger uh, bottle. But uh, that was the last piece of the cooking system that I thought uh, I wanted to mention. And very, very, very good points uh, on all of those. So, um, and then what's the what's the backup stove that you have that we're also going to bring just in case we need it? We may leave it at the truck, but we will have a backup stove as well. Yeah, it's just the uh, uh, the MSR rocket. So it's just a little, 
it, I mean, it's, it's super powerful. That thing will crank up some heat like you won't believe. It's loud as all get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of the gold standard in the hiking community. It's it's super duper lightweight. And we can have that, and it's piezo ignition. Hit the button. It lights itself. Uh, burns super hot. It, it's a great little stove, but... But wait. Only, and, I want to leave it in the truck. Yeah. And that's what we, I think that's what we're going to plan on doing is leave it in the truck. We just, you know, I, I guess it's a six mile walk out to the truck is much better than having to ride to the nearest store to buy something. So, right. And then on water and water purification. Um, so uh, I've got two different things that I'm planning to bring and use. And I know you've got some as well. So from my end, I'm bringing a Sterapin. And that's really to use for um, um, the Nalgene bottles. Won't fill those up and just need to, you know, stir it sixty seconds or whatever it is. And and then we've got water to drink. And then I'm I'm bringing a ten liter bag to keep in camp. And for the the bags, I'll just be throwing a you know a few Aqua tabs, Aquamira tabs. Let that sit um, while we're out hunting, um, just for camp water. But that's the that's the two I'm I'm planning on using. I've got a uh, life straw. Uh, just already own it. Super light. Doesn't take up much space. Uh, but that's a, kind of a last ditch thing for me. Uh, I have a MSR MiniWorks uh, microfilter. Mm-hmm. So that has a. It screws down on the top of a, a Nalgene style bottle. Uh, you drop the other end in the creek. Little hand pump. It's maybe a little heavier than we need, right? Some people go tablets only. Um, for me, I try not to drink water that's been purified with tablets or chemical means if I can avoid it. I mean, what it takes to purify the water is then doing to my guts. So I'd rather go through a filter system. Uh, personal preference, right? People feel different ways about it. But I'm going to bring the, uh, the mini pump. And we know there's uh, creeks in all the places we're looking to go that flow year-round. We should have no problem finding uh, water. We just can't trust that it won't have Giardia or some other. Right. Um, bad thing in it. So yeah, well, I just plan to pump all my water and, uh, it's super fast, right? And you can fill up a, an algae bottle pretty quick. So, uh, my thought is if you have that 10 liter bag, I will plan to do some water runs to fill it and hopefully we don't need the tablets, but mm-hmm. if we do, you know, if you got them, they don't think of any space or weight and we'll, we'll use them if we need them. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So, um, I guess let's, let's go from there. We'll, we'll get into, um, our, our shelter and, and sleeping setups, just, uh, go through those first. And uh, I guess shelters pretty easily. We can also give a bit of a shameless plug to, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers on this, but, uh, the, the shelter is actually in some ways, I guess our, our, our cheapest, <laughs> Our cheapest piece of gear, if you want to look at it from a uh, from that perspective, it was it was free, minus the membership to BHA. After after twelve even payments uh, to BHA for my life membership, it was free. Um, so I went with a seek outside uh, package for my lifetime membership for BHA Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and um, at the time it was a. Uh, six person TP and uh, talked to seek outside a little bit. Um, so I ended up getting a eight man TP and I got it with screens front and back. So on both doors. Right. Um, 
So the good thing is, if it's really hot, we can, you know, zipper it closed, keep out bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we need, you know, to have bad weather, we can zip it up. Uh, the reason I really wanted the eight man is it has a set of guy points that go around about two feet up on the silk. Right. right? Yep. So, um, if it's really bad, I have a full second set of stakes. Uh, we can guide that whole thing out, double down. So if we're up there and it's really high winds, we shouldn't have any problem. Uh, all of those guy out points, I have it. I uh, bought 550 cord with a reflective uh, thread in them, you know, bright orange. So the guy points that are up uh, two feet high, uh, every single one of them has a piece of 550 cord on it with a reflective thread. So sometimes going into camp, especially late at night with a headlamp, mm-hmm. it's helpful to find things. Right. Uh, and then for the very top, I have a little piece of 550 cord uh, that'll go on the, the very top of it that has uh, reflective tape around it. So years and years ago, uh, there was an accident in the high country and a guy basically was, was, was lost looking for a white canvas tent in a blizzard and uh, he, he froze and died. I heard the story. I'm like, you know what? I'm always going to have something reflective uh, on the top of my tent in case I have to find it in the, in the dark. So um, that's how the tent is set up, the teepee. Uh, I have the aluminum pole, so I went with a little bit of extra weight, uh, but it really looks sturdy, and I don't want to have carbon fiber problems, right? Um, especially out there and in those situations. So that's one place where I'm uh, taking extra ounces, and I think it's going to be worthwhile. Uh, the times I've used it, it's been super solid. So I think we're I think we're good on the primary shelter, and then you were going to take something else too. Correct, and I, I I should say I actually also did the exact same uh, life membership package that you did. They did change those up a little bit, and my shelter that came with my lifetime membership is the Seek Outside Cimarron. And we talked about you know both options because uh, I have mine as well, and we ultimately just decided we'd rather go with a little bit bigger shelter just so we have the room. I like you, Tom, but you know I yeah. I, <laughs> I want to know I've got my own my own side of the tent. So, but uh-huh. I, I do think it 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 you know you can always go lighter in a lot of situations. But this is just one of those where I think it you know made more sense between us and our gear to go with the the larger the larger TP. So, uh, but then I'm also bringing um, a tarp from uh, it's actually a little website called uh, Etowa uh, Etowa Outfitters and Gear. And I'm getting a seal nylon eight by ten tarp from them that will just be used as a secondary shelter for our our packs and so forth, so we don't have to drag those into the the tent each night. Um, not sure exactly how we'll end up setting it up with diamond shelter or something, but uh, I will be uh, bringing that as well as uh, a good length of small reflective paracord. So I'm kind of like you uh, after hearing that story. I want to make sure we've got multiple points of of reflectivity in the camp so that you know we can locate it pretty easily in a in a um, a headlamp. I'm uh, as you know, you've hunted with me enough to know. I squeeze the last minute of shooting light out. So, you know, if we're, if we're two miles from, from camp, I'm, I'm still going to hunt till dark. So you're making your way back to camp with a headlamp and a, a GPS. So, 
uh, you know, the reflective stuff's important to, to me as well. So, and then in camp, so we've got, um, for all the things we do different, I think we ended up with the, almost the exact same setup for sleep systems. I think so pretty much. Um, so sleeping pad, I went with the, uh, Thermarest. Um, I think it's called the X light or something along that line. It's the, it's a Thermarest. Um, and then I've got, uh, in fact, I, I brought, bought one sheet and made two out of it, but I'm using a, a, a sheet of Tyvek for my ground cloth. Um, gives me a little bit of insulation, but mainly I'm more concerned about giving me, you know, a, 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 a layer between the, the sleeping pad and the ground just to avoid the chance of a, or reduce the chance of a puncture on that sleeping pad. Now, is that the same sleeping pad you went with, Tom? No, I went with, uh, one that I, I gifted to a friend when they came out, it was a Cabela's instinct insulated pad. So uh, it was a birthday present for somebody. And I, I, I went to go get the Thermarest and this one was there. And I'm like, anyway, so I got it. Reviews are fantastic. Uh, and then they weren't, they weren't available for a long time. So they came back available uh, a couple months ago. I got one straight away. Uh, I've slept on it. Really like it. Um, little heavier than some of the alternatives but it is insulated um so i think that's you know kind of good to get up off the ground a little bit also have a tyvek pad and so what i'm doing with mine i don't think i even told you about this uh i'm going to put basically put some duct tape and grommets on the four corners so i can uh stake the thing down so it won't move Mm -hmm. and then i'm going to glue uh like shelf paper, just little, like a couple one inch wide strips, uh, on one side of it so that when I set my sleeping pad on it, it shouldn't shift around. So we'll see. I, mean, I got my shakeout for that coming next weekend. I have a three day camping trip, so I'm going to see, cause like I, I'm trying to toss and turn, right? So yeah. Uh, we'll see if my pad stays on the the Tyvek sheet. So, and I, I I couldn't remember if I had extras to give you or not, Tom. But I actually, when I bought the sheet of Tyvek, it either came with or I pu- purchased the the three um, M adhesive strips with the grommets. So mine does have the grommets. I think I went with one on each corner, just enough basically to to put a stake in it, so it didn't it didn't move on the ground. And the shelf paper is an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that. I'm actually thinking about buying some really large pieces of Velcro. Um, and so I can adhere one piece to the um, to a couple of places on the sleeping pad and a couple of places on the Tyvek for the same reason, just to keep that sleeping pad from moving around. But I'm talking, you know, pretty big che- uh, chunks of, of Velcro. So, you know, maybe a... a three by six or something like that. Something, you know, not little small pieces. These are pretty large. So, um, I haven't bought that yet. So it's something I'm still kind of rolling around in my head, but I'm like you, I don't want the, I don't want the, the sleeping pad sliding. That tie back is, is very slick. You know, a couple two by two squares of industrial Velcro would probably be all you'd need. Right. Yeah. That's it. We'll talk about that after we're done recording. Sure. And then, um, what did you what did you go with um, on your your sleeping bag? 
so a couple of years ago, I went with like the most expensive slumberjack sleeping bag that you could buy. And I've taken it all over and it's kind of wearing out and losing loft and it's couple it's getting kind of old now. And I started thinking about everything and I'm like, you know what? There's so many like really good cheaper options. Uh, because I'm allergic to down, I have to have a synthetic bag. Um, I ended up finding this company Outdoor Vitals, I think is the name of it. It is because right? you you, yeah. you turned me on to them. Yeah, and it, they had a, a pretty darn nice bag. I think it was under a hundred bucks. Um, I've slept in a, a handful of times now. I think it's well, you can tell me what's rated down to. I think it's like a twenty degree. It's bag. a twenty degree bag without the liner. Yeah, and so I'm six four. You know, I fit. Um, it's uh, packs down pretty small, right? So it's a little bit heavier than the high end stuff, uh, and it doesn't pack as tightly as as anything down, but it seemed like a pretty reasonable, like that's a lot of bag for a little bit of money. I added the inflatable pillow and the silk bag liner. Um, and that's my system. So I'm going to go with it and hopefully, hopefully I'm not cold. That may be the only thing on this entire list that, except for the stove <laughs> that we're, we're doing the same. So I, I bought the same bag, the, the 20 degree bag. Uh, the synthetic for me, I'm, I don't have a, an allergy to down, but for me, the synthetic had a lot of pros. One, I don't necessarily have to worry about keeping it, you know, uh, hung up when I'm not using it. Uh, the, you know, I can keep it cinched down and, and packed up even when I'm not, when it's not in use. But more importantly, the, you know, if, if we're to get wet, damp during the day, get back to camp, worst case, I can crawl into that sleeping pad, that sleeping bag. And, and I know I'm going to be dry the next morning, uh, just because of the synthetic material. Uh, I also went with the liner just in case we did have some really cold nights. I think it adds, you know, several degrees of, of, uh, insulation to the bag. And then I bought the same, uh, uh, air pillow from them and i will add that uh i am going to be picking up i haven't ordered it yet it's it's in my amazon cart um a thermal rest pump battery powered pump to pump up the the sleeping pads and the pillows just because um i did a little bit of reading on that and found that it's not recommended to inflate them um with you know with your breath because of the moisture content in your in your uh in your breath can actually reduce the insulating factor of the bag and you get the moisture, uh, in the pads, excuse me, you get the moisture build up in the pad. So, um, I'm trying to get anything that uses batteries that I'm going to carry, um, standardized on a triple a, AAA. um, so, uh, hopefully carry, you know, a handful of extra batteries and, and we're good to go. So, uh, I will be picking that up. I just don't have it yet. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but I went through the same process because normally I do a lot of uh, – a lot of my battery stuff runs 18650 uh, rechargeables. And uh, I decided for this trip I was going to standardize down to the AA. So uh, back up for the GPS, the uh, my Zebra Light headlamp. Um, so for me, the only battery size I'll be planning to carry was AA. I haven't decided yet. I've got the zebra lamp with the, um, the larger battery and I really want to take that lamp. So I haven't 
I haven't fully decided. Um, and I also really like my Eagle tack. Um, just if, you know, if we, and I don't think we're going, uh, I don't know. We can talk about that later. Um, you know, I, I really like that Eagle tack if I'm having to blood trail at night. Um, so that's just a, I think that's something you and I should probably talk about offline as far as do, you know, do we anticipate we're going to be doing any nighttime blood trailing? If we are, you know, I think the extra weight for those, those larger batteries may be worth, maybe worth the trade off. But again, we can take that offline. So any, mm-hmm. anything else on shelters and sleeping setups? Uh, well, you know, we're kind of just edging into, you know, the, the crossing the line from, from in camp to out of camp. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I'm going to pack that's probably not on the normal average list is the Lucy solar lanterns. I think, yeah, you've seen those I have. In, in camp we've shared before. Yep. Um, so in camp, it's just kind of nice to have a, uh, kind of a, a omnidirectional light source. Mm-hmm. That we can just kind of hang up. So I'm going to bring at least one of those at most two, but probably just one. Okay. Um, and so those things charge up, they'll run for hours, uh, led inflatable lanterns for anybody hasn't seen them. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, the coolest thing ever and they weigh nothing inflate them when you get to camp and uh they'll be fully charged before we go they'll you know they last for months uh without charging so yeah we'll, we'll have a, a nice light source in the teepee uh we can cook with and do whatever we need to do and not be burning the batteries in our headlamps while we're doing that and and you're right those things do put out a, a lot of light um and and not not a harsh light. They're just you know once your once your eyes adjust, it's more than enough light to do ninety nine percent of the things you need to do around camp. Yep. Uh, I am also going to have uh, a Petzl E light. It's a very small um, headlamp, uh, maybe the size of a smaller than a pack of Tic Tacs. I mean it's it's really small. Um, it's an LED has a little bit of adjustment to it. They last a really long time. It's just got a little elastic band that goes into the housing. So it's, it's just not very bulky at all. Um, but it's, it's just one of those really good, nice to have lights to keep handy. So, you know, you have to get up in the middle of the night, whatever, you know, you've got a little, little, little light there. That's not just blasting, um, this real high beam out and, uh, you can still, you know, have a personal light and, and I think we can share that one. No problem. So I will have that little light as well. Um, so I guess the next, this next one's probably going to be the last one we spend a real good amount of time talking about and that's optics. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you want, you want me to go first there? I think I'm the only one that bought optics for this, for this trip, but, um, you, you had the big journey, so yeah, you take it away. Yeah, so I, I spent, so we kind of talked about this, Let's give a little background here. We kind of talked about how we were going to approach this, and, you know, we, we really decided, unless that's changed, so I guess I might find out something's changed here, but, uh, you know, carry one, one spotting scope and, and one, uh, at least one really uh, good high end set of binoculars. And, um, I had been wanting to get, so I've got a, a good pair of binoculars. I've been really wanting a, a great pair of binoculars and, um, wanted something that was going to give me enough magnification that, you know, for glassing, I could use it and I could still use it for final approach if I needed to. So did a lot of, a, a lot of shopping 
um, a lot of research online. You and I talked about this quite a bit, and you had been a fan of Maven for quite some time, and and that was really where I started uh, my research, and I, I I looked at a lot of different products beyond that, and ultimately based on reviews and the options that they had, I ended up going with a pair of Maven B2 uh, 11 by 45 uh, optics. Um, and I will just say I have been absolutely blown away with these uh, with this glass since I got it. I've carried it out on a, a couple of scouting trips. I actually carried it to um, my summer vacation with the family, carried it to the beach. Uh, looking for you know watching dolphins and stuff like that out in the uh, out in the ocean is and it just like I said I was just blown away uh, by the clarity I've even used them a little bit now the only pair of optics I've got to compare them to I've got a pair of Nikon Monarchs eight by forty twos which are really good glass I I I really like them and for all intents and purposes they're probably all I need for for whitetails but low light there's definitely a difference between the Mavens and, and the Nikons. It's, it's surprisingly how, uh, different, the amount of clarity and the amount of light gathering that these do. And they're, they're a little bit larger, but not much. Uh, they are heavier just because of their construction. But I'm, again, I'm just, I'm blown away. It was definitely well worth the money. Um, that was kind of the two items that I decided up front I was going to spend the money on was the pack and the optics. Uh, and I did end up going with an Alaska Guide Creations uh, bino harness for those. And uh, I looked at FH, I think it's FH gear, um, and the Alaska. And I ended up going with the Alaska for a couple of options. Um, mainly it was functionality. There was a, a harness I could get to have a few little pockets so I can basically keep in a little emergency kit with me. Um, and I know I'm always going to have that harness strapped to me. So I've, I've got a little... Um, uh, fire starter kit that I'm going to keep with it. I've got a, um, we're going to talk about GPSs in a minute, but I did buy a 401 Garmin, uh, kind of a emergency or backup GPS runs on AA batteries. I can keep that in this little pack as well as a, a little sun to, um, compass that I keep on an elastic cord that's inside this harness as well. So, um, I think I covered everything there, but that was really my, my optics gear. And I will be using that on a tripod right now. I'm leaning towards a, um, a carbon fiber tripod that I can get from Amazon. It's called a, a Benro slim. Uh, I have not picked that up yet. It's one of my still to buy items and I will be pairing that with a, a Siri G10, uh, ball head is that's my plan again that's probably going to be one of my last buys before i go out there but um so that's my that's my my plan for optics all right and i just got to ask so are you going to take a uh so for final approach you're going to take a small pair of binoculars or is that your only set uh undetermined at this time it's really going to come down to once i get my final and i'm working on that now so once i really finalize all my gear get it weighed um, factor in, you know, some, uh, some amount of weight for the items that you're going to be bringing that we're going to have to split up between the, you know, the, the sleep system or the shelter system and, and food, and then determine, I think I can get by with these for final approach. They're just a little bit heavier. Um, 
I may still bring the Nikons, but at this point in time, it's, uh, it's undetermined. If I decide to bring the Nikons, what I will do is, uh, the, the, the Mavens will live on the tripod and I will just swap out the, the binos I keep in the, in the harness, um, for when I want to approach, but undetermined on that at this time. Okay. So my system, so I, I ended up getting into Mavens when I was doing some research on some birder forums. So people that do bird watching and it was kind of the thing where the longstanding opinion was there's the big three and then there's everything else. And Mavens kind of became this shim where they're like, these things are really good. Uh, some of the vortex line falls in there too. Um, where people are starting to kind of look at those as a very high quality uh, glass, but not from the big three. Um, and then I ended up getting some 10 by 42 uh, Leicas, and I put those in a FHF gear harness. And uh, I love that system, and I'm going to be bringing that uh, with me as my, my primary glass. I am thinking about picking up some uh, 8x32s, for the pocket or uh, over the shoulder 550 cord mm-hmm. for final approach. Sometimes it's nice to have a little pair of binoculars when you're on a stock. Um, 10 by 42 is kind of big for that, in my opinion. I've done it plenty, but I don't, it's not, they're a little big. Uh, just when you need to know, you know, looking for that ear, or looking for that horn, figuring out what direction something's looking uh, through the brush. So I might pick up a little pocket pair and then, you know, just from a, a point of cost savings, I couldn't see running out and buying a tripod and a spotting scope uh, because after this trip to Wyoming, I don't have another big out West trip planned for a couple of years. Right. And so I have a lot of friends that do a lot of shooting uh, and all of them on spotting scope. So I put out the word and, uh, got one of those lined up and have friends that are photographers. And I put out the word that I wanted to borrow a tripod. So I got a, a silk tripod and a spotting scope lined up. And uh, so our, our big glass is uh, both items that are going to be borrowed. Uh, and they're both backups from those people. So, you know, they've upgraded a few times and have extras. Uh, so, I'm just going to grab those and go and we'll, we'll have our, our setup for glassing. Very cool. Well, you actually just made me feel a little bit better then. I know, uh, our good friend Derek Sheehan had offered to let me borrow his, uh, Sony. He's got a really, and you've seen this, it's a really, really nice, I forget the model number, um, point and shoot Sony with Zeiss lens. And it's, it's just not much bigger than a cell phone. Um, and I really want, I'm, I'm already carrying audio equipment because we're all going to be recording some podcast stuff while we're out there. I'm, I'm already planning on carrying some small video equipment. So carrying a DS, DSLR camera was just, you know, kind of off the, off the list at this point. But after he offered to let me use that camera, I may be taking him up on it now because now if something happens, we fall off the mountain, um, you're going to have stuff you're going to have to reimburse forward and I might as well do so as well. So. <laughs> So I may be, I may be reaching back out to Derek and saying, I'll, I'll take you up on that offer. So, um, I think that pretty much covers the optics, uh, yep. GPSs. I think we both have yep. the same one, uh, Garmin Montana and, uh, Onyx hunt chip. 
Correct. You've and you've got the new one. Mine's a, a few a few years older, uh, but both of them have the the GLONASS uh, satellite capability, which is just a must. Mm-hmm. I mean, my and I keep telling people this, and I get the strangest looks um, in my home. You know where I'm at right now is in my basement, so it's a full basement um, with two floors above the basement, and I can turn on my Garmin right here at my desk in the middle of my house. And it will acquire satellites and and get within sixteen feet of where I'm where I'm sitting right now. So you know, tree covers nothing. The 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 Montana is just an amazing piece of equipment. They are expensive, but if you use them as much as I do, and I use my GPS a lot, I use a compass a lot too. But um, I've got some video series planned that I'm going to be doing for the YouTube channel. Shameless plug there. Um, that's going to cover a lot of things and the reasons I do use a GPS so much, but I, I live in the outdoors by my GPS. So I want something that's rugged, that's reliable. Um, and that I know I can depend on. And, you know, if I have to fall back to the compass, I can't, I know how to get out of the woods with a compass, but I can't. So I don't want to, I don't want to derail this conversation too much, but hunting out West and hunting in, in Southern Georgia, is a lot different as far as navigation with a compass. Um, you can't see a mile to pick out a, a, an object that you want to get a bearing on and and hike to to get your next bearing. It, it, it you you most places this time of year you can barely see twenty feet, much less hundred you know a, a mile. So, but we will be you know we will be using uh, or rely having compasses as backups while we're out west as well. Um, and then I mentioned I've also bought picked up the the 401. Um, now that's just a very basic LCD. Uh, you know I'll set a, a a waypoint for camp as soon as we set up camp. Might set one for the vehicle where we park the vehicle. It's more of an emergency. I need to get back to X because something else failed, kind of thing. But and we can. Uh, my thought process there too, Tom was you know I think we're planning on doing uh, spotting together. And then taking turns on the stalk, one you know, one person staying behind and and watching the animal while the other one stalks, and you know we need to we need to have a routine there that whoever is going on that stalk sticks that four hundred one in their in their pocket or their pack just as because you may be getting you know a mile two miles away and it's just it'll be nice to have a backup if you need to get you know if you have to have it get back so. Um. Anything else about GPS navigation? No, I, I, I think the, the last thing we talk about glassing is something I was going to mention later, but I think I'm just going to talk about it now. We're, we're sitting out behind tripods and first thing in the morning and sitting in uh, dew or on a cold rock. Uh, I intend to bring a, a crazy creek uh, chair just to get my butt off the ground a little bit. Uh, I looked at uh, glassing pads and all kinds of other stuff, but I'm like, you know, a little, little back support and a little insulation off the ground. Uh, so that's going to be kind of one item that kind of goes in with the optics in my mind. Very good point. And you've actually sold me on that. I was actually looking at another chair uh, for, for camp use, uh, lightweight chair. And after talking to you, I hadn't even thought about carrying something out, you know, for glassing. So, I'll probably be picking up 
the, the same one. And the other item I'll throw out here too, it doesn't really fall into GPS and navigation, but it's kind of along the same lines as we are planning on carrying a, a sat phone just for emergency since we don't know um, what cell coverage will be. I know we drove through a part of the area we're thinking about possibly hunting a few years ago, and we actually had pretty decent cell service um, from the Forest Service Road, but you know, we we do want to have a means of communication to touch base with home, let everybody know we're okay, as well as if we had an emergency. So we're just going to rent a sat phone for the week and 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 pay for the minutes we need, which we're going to try to keep to a bare minimum. But we will have that, you know, just for uh, emergency and and keep in touch with the real world, so to speak. You know, when you look at all the money we've saved by do-it-yourself and things we're doing, even with the gear we purchased. It's a small investment, it, it, right? It's just a little insurance policy, and it, it'll be good to know everything's all right. It will, and it will, if, and I can't speak for you. I will definitely speak for me and say it It will ensure that, you know, I'm able to do this again because <laughs> my wife is going to want to know that, that we're okay. Um, so, yeah. you know, just being able to touch in, you know, every every other day uh, and, and text whenever we can, too, is it's just a peace of mind thing back home. And it'll, it'll, it'll give me peace of mind knowing she's not just worried about me or worried about us. So it's worth the investment. Uh, so what about, um, I guess last, last point of discussion, Tom, let's, let's talk about our, our bow setup and, um, we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap this episode up with, with that discussion. So why don't you go first with your, you know what's your what's your bow your primary bow that you're carrying and your your error configuration for this hunt yeah it's pretty funny that we're ending an episode on talking about bows and arrows usually it's the very first thing <laughs> it really you know, is things yeah. we talk about uh, so my bow i will be bringing my my long bow my uh, black widow 64 pound bow uh, have a bow quiver on it i'm going to bring my Aeromaster uh, Safari Tough Quiver in the car at least. Um, I have a fletch cover for the, the bow quiver. Uh, it's all tuned up, shooting good. Uh, Black Eagle arrows, uh, shooting the Outlaw 300 spine, uh, 250 grain insert adapter, may have stainless steel from John Hand. I uh, have a Tough Head 225 on that. Uh, total arrow weights like 780 grains, uh, right at 30% FOC. Kind of my normal setup. Uh, that's like all the planes game I, I shot in Africa was with that arrow. Uh, performance was excellent. Uh, it's a new arrow I came up with this year, a little variation on a previous one. So that's my, that's my bow and arrow setup for this trip. Um, Okay, so I had a question there, and then it just it just escaped me. Um, did you mention the what what head you're actually shooting on those time? Yeah, the, the tough head, the tough head two twenty five. Okay, um, and is that that's a one piece bow, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my old old widow. Right. Yeah, I know that's it came a, out of retirement. That's a that's a that's a sore subject. I'm I'm sorry I had to bring that up, <laughs> but I brought it up. I only asked for a reason. Um, so. The the bow that I'm taking is a uh, it's an ASL style bow. It's a, a Pacific U. It's one of Jay's older models. Um, 
It's uh, it's called a Wapiti is the model, but it's a 64 inch uh, two piece takedown. It pulls 69 at 28. Um, I hunted with it all last year. I just I've kind of fallen in love with the bow. The bow was gifted to me by a good friend here in in North Georgia. He just he got it in a trade and said he could never shoot the poundage. Knew that I liked or leaned towards the you know a little bit heavier bow and and I've been shooting it pretty much hunting with it ever since and just love the little bow. Um, uh, I'm shooting uh, uh, Black Eagle vintage shafts out of that. They're 350 spine. Um, I foot those with 2216, two and a half inches of 2216. And my total air weight up front is, is I think, 480 grains, including the footing, the insert, and the broadhead. I've got two different broadhead setups, and I'm using a different uh, adapter for for both but it gives me the total the same total front end weight and they shoot identical i'm going to be carrying some 200 grain grizzly single bevels and i'll also be carrying um some 150 grain magnus um single bevels probably going to be hunting with the magnuses i really like um having that extra uh, half inch or so of, of cutting width um especially when you know i might I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a 20 yard or undershot, but you know, as we get on into the week a little bit, if a 25 or, or so <clears throat> shot presented itself, uh, with that little bit wider cutting surface, I would feel a little bit more confident taking that shot. That comes back to the question that I couldn't think of Tom. What's the, you know, what's your, what's your maximum, um, range for a shot on this hunt? Have you, have you really put any thought to what's the furthest you would shoot? My stock answer is is 15 yards and under is definitely my sweet spot. Um, we'll see. We'll see exactly how I'm shooting. You know, 17, 18. But I, I yeah, I don't, I don't shoot 20 or over anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna just bank on getting super close. And that's we're not taking a shot. That's. So I'm, I'm pretty much in the same ballpark and I'll, I'll say, I say pretty much cause I'll add a, a an if to this scenario. I, I, I'm the same way, uh, 20 yards or less, preferably 15 and under. Um, I am same way as, as on our pronghorn hunt a couple of years ago, I am practicing further than I normally would shoot. Um, my, my dead on, um, and I shoot instinctive, but I, I'm still aware of the point. And my pretty much my dead on is 30 yards. And I'm confident I could make the shot at 30 yards. Um, but again, I always worry about the what ifs, what what can happen after I release that arrow, animal movement, puff of wind, who knows, whatever. Um, so I, I know I'll never take a 30-yard shot. But if it was the right conditions and I felt really good, I might stretch that out to 25 uh, again later in the week. My goal is going to be 20 or less. Um, so shooting a very heavy, I think my total air weight right now is 860 grains. I think that's right. So it's a, it's a very heavy arrow, but I've been shooting the same arrow since, uh, well, I shot it through last, last year as well. So for all intents and purposes, it's, I've been shooting this arrow for over a year and I shoot it quite a bit. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. Um, we talked about a backup bow. Uh, we are going to carry, um, a backup. I know you've got a, because I'm having to ship all or most of my gear to you. And I guess we should have prefaced this. I'm going to be shipping my pack, all of my, 
pretty much all of my gear, my bow, my arrows, uh, everything except the clothes that I'm going to wear and some of the clothes that I may change into on the way back so forth. I'm shipping all that stuff up to you. You're going to throw it in a vehicle and you're picking me up at the airport in um, Minnesota. Uh, so mm-hmm. a little bit of logistics there we're having to deal deal with. But so because of that, we're we're basically going to use a bow that we're both fairly comfortable with. You've got a, a Pacific U that I that that I got for you a while back, but um, I think it's something around sixty three pounds, so it's pretty close to what you're shooting. It's a little bit less than what I'm shooting. I think um, arrow wise, we we're going to have a couple options there. I'm going to throw in some arrows that I've been working on that seem to work pretty good out of a bow of similar weight. Uh, 400, 400 spine. I forget the length they're actually cut to tune in at, but they'll be tipped with, um, a 200 grain ethics archery insert, threaded insert and, and 200 grain bone broadheads. I've been playing around with those a little bit and I've really kind of fell in love with them, but, um, those arrows would probably fly out of that bow pretty well, as well as the bow, the arrows that you're shooting out of your widow. So we've, we've got some options there from an arrow perspective and we may just leave that bow in the truck, but, I don't want to be, you know, 20 hours from home and not having a backup in case something were to happen. So we are going to carry one backup between us. Definitely. When you ship your stuff, uh, ship those arrows up with you and I'll string this thing up and shoot it at the range a little bit and check the tune and put it through paper and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, let's make sure our backup plan is good and I'll shoot it at your draw length and mine and see how those arrows will work. Okay, and I will do that. I've got a little Plano uh, um, arrow case that I'm going to have all all the arrows in when I ship the bow up or the pack up. It'll be in one of those one of those two shipments. Um, as far as quivers, I have not nailed that down yet. I've got a Great Northern that I'm probably going to bring simply because it holds five arrows. I toy with um, bringing my the quiver I hunted all last season with is a little two-arrow quiver from um, Casey Craiger. I really like that quiver. It doesn't affect the the shot at all. Um, but part of me is telling me I don't want to get, you know, a mile into a stalk and need a third arrow. So, again, I haven't decided yet. It'll be one of those two quivers that I'm bringing, either the Great Northern or the, the two-arrow quiver. Um, so We're going to be way too far from the truck and too far from camp to be going into – a stock with two arrows. Oh, I'll have more than two arrows. That's what I'm saying. I may, I may end up bringing. So I'm definitely going to be bringing the, the Great Northern. I said that wrong. I'm definitely going to be bringing the Great Northern. I'm trying to decide if I'm also going to toss that little two arrow quiver in my pack. It weighs nothing. Um, but probably I'll just stick with the Great Northern. That's re, that's where I'm leaning right now. As much as I love that little two arrow quiver, I just you know if I get on a stalk, I won't. I know I'm going to want to have more than than two arrows with me. So. Um, yep. Anything else, Tom, that you can think? I think we've beat up pretty much all of this this gear list. I can't think of anything, and I hope it's useful for people. I'm mean, really just wanting to share all this information to kind of go through not only what we're using, but why we why we made the choices we did. And again, we're going to follow this up, you know, sometime this winter with how everything worked out for us. But any any other items that you want to throw in that we haven't covered? No, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff we don't need to cover. You know, the, the emergency uh, survival kits, the cordage, the duct tape, the uh, bags for hanging food and garbage in camp. I mean, 
we're going to have a lot of stuff that has been covered many other places. Um, but I think as, you know, as far as key decision points and what we chose and how we chose, I think we've done a good job kind of outlining for people our thought processes and, and what we've come up with and why. I do as well. The only thing I can think of we didn't mention, and I think we're probably both carrying the same thing, is is uh, from a knife perspective. Um, uh, you're right. Kill kit didn't make the list. I, all I'm really carrying is I, I may wear um, a, a, a belt knife in with me. I haven't really decided yet. I may, but the primary knife I'm going to be looking to use is, is our um, – and I'm drawing a blank on the name. Uh, that, yeah, the Havilon. Thank you. Um, bring a few extra blades for that. You can pretty much do anything you need to do with it. So that's probably going to be my go-to. But I think one of us should probably have a little bit heavier belt knife. Um, you know, probably even the one of our packers. I know we both have that knife. Really, more for camp stuff. If we had to, you know, um, cut some you know sticks or maybe you know chop up some some wood for a a, a little fire. Um, if we ran out of alcohol, those kind of things. But, you know, for the most part, it's going to be the Havilon for everything. Yeah. Well, I run a, a two knife system and I, I never, uh, I never don't have both. So my multi-tool is way heavier than most people would consider. It's a uh, Leatherman rebar. I have so the same. Kind of a, a tradesman line, yep. right? So I've got serrated blade, normal blades. So I've got backup blades, pliers. It's, you know, so, and the main reason I carry that is to be able to swap safely the Havilon blades, because um, I'll be carrying that too. So, uh, I'll have a few of the standard 60A uh, sharp pointy ones, and then I'll have a couple rounded ones. I forget the nomenclature of that, but yeah, I'll carry probably five or six blades just because they're so small. Uh, I think I used a grand total of two between our four pronghorn in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the camp knife, you know, cordage and, and cheese, that'll be, uh, my Leatherman. If I had to carry a fixed blade, I'd probably go to my skeletonized Azula one, but I don't think I need it with that Leatherman. It's got two blades on it already. Yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah, so we'll probably just let you deal with that and, um, I'm, I'm probably just going to rely on the, on the Havilon. So, well, Tom, I definitely appreciate you hopping on here and, and sharing all this with me. I know it's a kind of a lot to go through. It's not the most exciting stuff, but I think it's, uh, I think it should prove useful, especially once we do the follow-up. So thank you for your time. Um, I will work with you. I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to drop this episode, but I will work with you. We've obviously got quite a few links we need to compile to put in the show notes, uh, because I do want people to be able to find this gear again. We're not, we're not sponsored by anybody. We're not getting anything from any company or even discounts, unless it's a, a general sale that we got. We, we got nothing special. So, uh, we have no skin in this game other than tell you, you know, here's what we're using and why. And we'll also let you know what did and did not, uh, meet our expectations. So stay tuned for that. And until then, man, I'm, I'm, just looking forward to to getting out there and getting this adventure underway me too all right buddy you take care go enjoy the rest of your sunday and i will be talking to you real soon goodbye now all right thanks steve